Hi, welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, author of Fuck Like a Goddess, creator of Radical Awakenings, transformational coach, and student of life. I'm here to stand with you asking questions about what is sacred and what is profane and the space between. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. I want to tell you about our sponsor today, Beducated. Beducated is an online site that has classes and courses focused on love, sex, intimacy, and a great class that ties into today's episode that is about menstrual cycles. Yep. So you can get a free trial for all Beducated courses right now. And I also have a special discount for you if you want to access that class or all their other incredible classes. So many classes. Use my link in the show notes and my discount code goddess and you'll receive a permanent discount off their yearly pass. Not just for a year, but the discount lasts forever. Enjoy. Have lots of fun playing on their site, learning about all kinds of things without having to surf the internet or Google. You don't want to Google any sexy stuff. It's 2022. You want to just have it vetted and curated for you. So enjoy that site and then let's move on to the episode. It is a delicious one today. Hi, everybody. Okay, on today's podcast, I have a fangirl moment um, with Elisa Vitti, who I found her book when I was 28, and it helped my menstrual cycle, which back then was super jacked up by coffee, um, you know, disordered eating, busyness, too much exercise. And it, her book and her plan and her whole program she's de- devoted her life to it um it healed my cycle. It healed my menstrual cycle. And so when I got her email saying yes to the to being on the podcast, I was so excited. And um, she's a wealth of information. So get your pen and your paper handy for this one because you're gonna want to take a lot of notes. Okay, have fun. Hi everyone. I am very excited to have Elisa Vitti today on the podcast, who is an author, educator, mother, extraordinary woman. Um, I first came across her work when I was about, I think, 26, 27, and having trouble with my own menstrual flow. And so it's just, it's really a, a special moment to connect with you right now. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, I've been, I've been like telling people to read your book for a long time. Anyone who's been in my community in my circle, I'm always recommending it, but I'd love to hear just a little bit about your background. How did you become an author and an expert in the space of women's health, um, menstrual cycles, fertility? How did that happen? Out of necessity, really. I had my, you know, own pretty dramatic hormonal challenges in my I mean, all from starting from before puberty, but really they just sort of kept getting progressively worse. And then I had always been interested in in women's health and was planning to become an OBGYN and was at Hopkins and, you know, super nerd and really, you know, invested in this path. And then when my hormones just sort of stopped functioning properly and I sought out care, conventional care, I, I came into contact with two facts that I hadn't really been aware of before, which is that I was one of millions of women who struggle with menstrual disturbances. And I I didn't realize that it was such a huge population. And that two, conventional medicine doesn't 
have a set of tools to really effectively deal with these issues. And that can be things like what I had, which was PCOS or fibroids or endometriosis or just PMS or PMDD. They're, they have drugs and surgical procedures and things to help a little bit with the triage, but nothing that's really about resolving things. And so because I was on the receiving end of that experience, and I had sort of a, a very special moment with myself, my cells in the in the doctor's office when she told me, you know, my prognosis with the PCOS and all the things that were going to happen. And I just I felt very clear that that wasn't my path. And I felt very clear that I was going to be able to figure this out. And so I proceeded to just dive into research and um, to understand what is the system inside the body that governs hormones, which is our endocrine system? And how do we support that functionally, right? How, so this is before, this is over 20 years ago. So this is before functional medicine was even a term in our lexicon. How do we support the function of the endocrine system so that it can perform optimally? And so, you know, I came up with a protocol that helps me put my PCOS into remission symptom-wise. And I really was excited about being able to serve other women to help them because I, you know, aside from intellectually understanding these two things that I was part of a large group and that conventional medicine didn't have a lot of solutions. The other big important piece was how that felt as an individual, right? Um, I know how it feels when you go in and there's like nothing that can be done and you're suffering day after day, month after month. And and you're told to just kind of suck it up. You know, that's just not an acceptable, it's not good enough. You know, it's just not good enough. And I thought maybe that I could offer something that would be a different uh, model of hormonal health care that was very proactive, that was very um, natural, but also based on the systems of the body and scientifically backed. And so that's how Flow Living was born really out of my desire to not have any other woman feel as I felt, right? That this isn't that complicated actually dealing with hormones. I And, and my superpower is making hormones make sense for women. And so, um, you know, being able to, to build the platform, the products, the services that really help women have that comprehensive experience of having an issue that they come across, whether that be in their menstrual years or their fertility or their perimenopausal journey, and to know that there's a, a process that they go through with diet, with supplements, with support and information that takes them out of that sort of hormonal chaotic symptomatic state and gets them back into what we like to call state of hormonal flow. Mm. It's so incredible because the work that you put out there, I mean, I'm sure it's impacted like millions of women who we didn't have the education growing up. I mean, I think about all the things we didn't have that education on, on the normal, you know, kind of public school system that's funded and created by the government. But one of the things is like, I didn't know anything about my hormones, my body. Um, I didn't know that if I was starving myself or over-exercising, I was, you know, wreaking havoc on myself. I didn't know about um, nervous system regulation and how cortisol impacted my hormones. I just knew that there were times of the month that like I was a, a complete mess on the floor, like gut wrenching cramps, like just in hell cramps and hell cramps. Um, 
And when I went to the doctor, probably similar to many women, it was like, put you on birth control. Um, Birth control, essentially, like, I feel like ruined my mental health in most of my 20s. And I thought that's not like, that's not a a thought, you know, there's, there's study after study showing that when you take that medication, it um, absolutely negatively impacts your mental health. And, and that's why so many women who go on it, if initially, um, as they're onboarding that medication and adjusting to synthetic hormones, find that they then very quickly have to be put on something like an SSRI, right. To help with their moods. And, you know, it's just a, don't get me wrong. I think that the advent of birth control was essential important, historic, feminist forward, like all good. We should all have access to it. The thing that I want people to consider is that like with most medications, it's being given a secondary application that was not part of its original intention. The original intention of synthetic birth control was to help the women who in their 40s or having their seventh or eighth baby. You have to think about the world before birth control, right. a woman's life before birth control in a marriage situation, right? Conventional marriage, or in one that was, you know, where where there may not be proper family planning taking place, or where women couldn't advocate for themselves to use right. prophylact have their partner use prophylactics. Right. Um, she may be pregnant very, very often throughout her marriage and her reproductive years. And, and an eighth, seventh or eighth pregnancy in your 40s, it has a lot of health impact on a woman mentally, physically. So it was a huge step forward to be able to control how many children you're going to have. But now the technology has advanced, right? I always say to women, because women always ask me, well, okay, great. I, I get it. You know, there's lots of things that might not be beneficial to taking it. You know, it stops you from ovulating. It shuts off all your hormones. It changes your personality. It can deplete your mental health. It can um, permanently alter and dampen your sex drive. It depletes micronutrients. There's lots of things about it. it can destroy your gut microbiome. Like there's a lot of things about it that we don't know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that are important to be aware of when you're trying to make critical healthcare decisions about how you want to take care of certain issues with your hormones. But from a family planning point of view, that fast forward, you know, since the advent of the pill, um, you know, more than 50 years later, we have some really exciting leaps forward. Now you can use biometric devices to track either basal body temperature or luteinizing hormone. And it can be wirelessly connected to an app on your phone that charts this out for you day after day. So you can know with precision and confidence exactly when you are ovulating. And, you know, the other thing that you need to know is that you're only fertile for your egg is only viable for 48 hours and sperm can only live in the body for five days. So there's like a seven day period of time where you got to like be using some barrier methods, but there is this other cool thing that's taking place now where these are FDA approved. There are several brands that offer them. It's a vaginal insert gel that's lactic acid based that basically prevents the sperm from doing anything at all. And it's, there's no hormones, no side effects, you know, so between the biometric tracking devices, knowing with understanding the science like yeah. when you're fertile, and then using either a barrier method and this new gel. I mean, the whole premise for taking birth control, synthetic hormones every single day 
it doesn't matter. It, it's, it's overkill. Yeah. Right? Cause you're not fertile every day. You're fertile for 48 hours. Right. So to, t- so it's old tech. So I think yeah. if you're concerned about, you know, how do I prevent a pregnancy, right? There's new tech that's very precise yeah. where you get to use less medication to achieve the same exact result, which I think is a huge, wonderful thing, you know, progress, progress. Absolutely. And I think people have been waiting for those options. Now, are they getting publicized yet or are they getting as much play like by the doctors? And I'm not sure, you know, it seems like some of that old kind of pharma is like kind of like the old dinosaurs in place, like probably takes a little bit of time to kind of move. Well, no, I think that's the, that's what we were talking about before, which is that, you know, this is the secondary use outside of preventing pregnancy, the, the pill in whatever yeah. form, the ring, the IUD, the, the implant, the, the injection, whatever it's all, it's a secondary use case for, well, if you're having any menstrual problem, migraines, heavy bleeding, PMS, acne, um, breast tenderness, you know, and, and of course, an official diagnosed issue like fibroids, endometriosis, PCOS, this is the only tool that they have. Right. Right. And so it's being, it's being, um, suggested as this, as for all of these different use cases. And I think that with what we understand from functional medicine, that there's a much more nuanced way to go about addressing these issues that are, not just like whack-a-mole trying to stop the symptoms, but really about going deep into how the body works so that you can actually resolve what is creating the symptoms in the first place, which is a better approach. Yeah. Yeah. So when you had that diagnosis of the PCOS and you started this journey, um, what was that like for you to kind of be a pioneer and have yourself be your first kind of case study? It sounds like where you're like, okay, I'm going to transform myself. And then I'm going to share it with the world. That's it's amazing. What was that like? (laughs) Challenging. I mean, exciting in the sense that I was so awestruck about or around what physically took place for myself. You know, I mean, I was over 200 pounds. I was covered in cystic acne. I was not menstruating for a decade. You know, the decade from 12 to 22 where everybody's getting their cycle and complaining about it as a teenager. I had maybe four or five periods. A few of them were chemically induced with synthetic progesterone. I was not ovulating. I was not menstruating. It was not, my whole endocrine system was not working. Um, so for me, it was one, one part just so exciting and so wonderful and so clear to me that this was information that every woman should have access to. And then the doing of it, the trying to, to, to build the thing that would help women uh, or, or, I mean, there were many, many moments before, you know, before, gosh, I mean, I would say in the past five or six years, it's been like a total shift in the, in the cultural narrative, you know, where we are menstrual, we've, we've shed the menstrual taboo in our cultural narrative. Like women are posting real talk on social. There's tons of articles. I've contributed to so many things. There were wellness, you know, wellness trends of many years in a row about menstruation. I mean, it was historic historic changes in the past. But prior to that, and I've been doing this for over 20 years now, prior to that, you know, I, 
I would definitely see people looking at me like, what is wrong with you that you want to talk about this or that you want to create a business focused on this? Yeah. Um, and I'm so, you know, thrilled that the narrative has changed. I'm also really honored that I've been very directly changing that narrative. And, yeah. and, um, and I'm, I'm just happy to see that, you know, for me, it's really my modus operandi for whatever I'm building. Yes, it's to serve women, but it's so that once a woman has reclaimed her vitality, her hormonal health, her energy, right? I'm just really invested in having as many women on the planet at the same time with full access to that vitality and that creativity unencumbered by days and days on the couch in pain or weeks where you feel like you're not yourself, right? Where you can unleash all that creativity and vitality into passion projects that are good for you and good for the planet in ways we just can't fathom. You know, I just, I'm really, I'm really intrigued about that ripple effect mm -hmm. and want to serve that in, in whatever capacity that I can. I love that. I love that so much. I think about that, like if we weren't busy trying to, you know, kind of fix our period for back, lack, lack of better words, or busy trying to stay thin or busy trying to stay pretty, like where would our vitality go? Where would our energy go? You know, it's like, oh, that is a huge, those are big curriculums, I think, for any modern Western woman. I'm not sure in every culture in the world, but it's like, the amount of energy over a woman's lifetime that we spend in those places around our body, our weight around, you know, coming to terms with our menstrual flow and finding some sort of a, a balance there. Um, and our appearance, it's a lot of fucking energy. Well, you know, and I, I actually always come back to the reason why we are stuck in that hamster wheel or that mental confusion is because we have been deprived of basic scientifically accurate information about our bodies and our biology. Because if you understood, for example, that in postmenopausal years, for example, um, because you're not ovulating, right? And every ovulation has uh, cardio, neuro and osteoprotective benefits. So, right, protecting your bone density. So that's why it's really also important maybe not to be on the pill for your entire reproductive years because every it stops ovulation. So you don't put money into your bone density bank account for the future, for example, just one thing. But let's say you didn't take birth control pills and then you go through menopause and you're no longer ovulating. There is a biological basis for you to become to, for your body composition to change a little bit, for you to be a little bit heavier yeah. physically because it puts more stress on your skeleton, which helps make your bones more dense. That's assuming you don't want to do a whole bunch of strength training. If you lift heavy things, like really, really heavy things, and you put external weight and stress on your skeleton then you won't, your body won't compensate for you to try to protect your bone density with added fat. So understanding that takes it out of this whole, oh my God, oh, yeah. I'm going to get old and fat. And it turns it into, okay, well, my body's going to protect my bone density at all costs. It's either going to have me get a little bit heavier so that I'm having daily extra stress, or I'm going to lift heavy things and I can maintain my weight the way that I prefer. And it is nothing personal. It's just business. It's just your body's business, right? Yeah. And you can, you can 
take that to postpartum. You can take it to puberty. You can take it to your menstruating years. Anything and everything can be just looked at very, well, what's the biological moment I'm in? What are the realities? What is the function that is taking place? How can I support it? Very matter of fact. and, And that's the thing I think is so liberating about being educated around this information is you can just kind of really everything else that you have been worrying about, it just kind of falls away because it doesn't stand up in the face of the facts. Oh, it's so important. And I wish, yeah, I wish that little girls were educated about that from a young age. You know, I wish I would have known. And and here we are. And that's why your books being available to so many people are so important. You know, when I had trouble, like my period was having long cycle, skip cycles. I was in my late twenties in New York city and I was high cortisol, high stress. That's when someone was like, you need to do this. You need to change your life and you need to change your way of eating, of exercising, sleeping. Like you need to find the cycle. And I had already been tuned into the cycles of nature and the moon and I had been doing my witchy rituals and all of this, but somehow I hadn't correlated that with, oh, I'm a cyclical being and I I can't just be this one note. So everyone needs to read the book if you haven't read it. But one thing that I heard that I'd love to hear you kind of expound upon a bit here is the difference between the um, infradium rhythm. Did I say that right? In the circadian rhythm. And did I say, like, those are circadian rhythm. And infradian. It's okay. Okay, Thank you. (laughs) Circadian and infradian. Um, Because I'd never heard, I mean, I'd heard the circadian one, but I haven't thought about it, I guess, in a long time. But I'd never heard the infradian rhythm until I, you know, started doing a little bit more research. I'd love to hear you speak on that a little bit. Yeah. I'm, you know, I've done a lot of firsts and that I'm proud of. And one of the things that I've done the first of is write this book called In the Flow. My first book is called Woman Code, but the second book, In the Flow, is the first book that details what the infradian rhythm is. And it it gives a method called the cycle syncing method to help you support this. And so what is the infradian rhythm? Why should you care about it? Well, I have been helping women for 20 years. And one of the things that I thought would be getting better by now, especially given how many articles there are about your period and what to do and that's that and the information and the breaking down of the taboos is that women would be healthier. But when I was sort of following these statistics, I mean, it's just really shocking that, you know, 80% of women at some point in her life will have a hormonal problem. 80%. When we compare that to the galaxy of those with male hormones, right? Um, it's, we're not even in the same galaxy percentage wise, right? So why is it fundamentally, I kept, that's what I came down to is like fundamentally, what, what, what have we overlooked? What are we, what are we missing? How are we disrupting ourselves so profoundly that almost all of us end up with a hormonal problem, right? I was asking a really deeper question than in my first book, Woman Code, which was really about How does the system of the hormonal system, the endocrine system work, and how do we support it properly? That was the question I asked to write that book. The question I asked to write in the flow is, what what did we really just, what are we not getting right? And what what we're overlooking is the fact that we have this second biological clock called the infradian rhythm. 
The circadian rhythm, which we're all much more familiar with, is one that we experience over the course of 24 hours. It's um, something that governs our sleep-wake cycles, but that's too simplistic of an understanding. It governs the timing of different functions of the body. So for example, um, there's a time of day when your bowels are more active because of the circadian effect and they're less active, which is really advantageous because if you're trying to get like deep REM sleep, it's good not to be woken up at like in the middle of a REM cycle to have like number two, right? That's really good that you have a clock that's sort of keeping the optimal timing for all the different things that your body does for you in order. So similarly, the infradian rhythm is something that women from puberty to menopause, they're from their first bleed to their last, this is the only time you experience it, you experience it over the course of your monthly cycle. But it is too simplistic to think that it just governs when you're ovulating and bleeding. Mm -hmm. It turns out that it has impact into your brain, your metabolism, your immune system, your stress response system, and of course, everything about your reproductive system from fertility to sex drive to your period, right? And just like with the circadian rhythm, we know that it's essential to support that with lifestyle choices, right? Like you wouldn't skip a night of sleep and try to function the next day, right? Like right. We, we know we have to take care of it. Yeah. We, we have not, A, we've never heard of this rhythm. B, we have no idea how it affects us. And C, we certainly have not been told how to support it. But I decided that it was so clearly the missing piece um, when we look at why a woman will, 80% of women will have a hormonal problem and not just a hormonal problem, but struggle metabolically, struggle with, uh, you know, brain fog, struggle with her immune system. More women than men have autoimmune issues, right? Yes, because the yeah. it turns out the degree to which you are disrupting your infradian rhythm is the degree to which you'll have issues with any of these systems of your body right? Just like the degree to which you disrupt your circadian rhythm will lead to a degree of disease state. We know that, right? So this was something that we absolutely need to know about. And so I wrote a giant book about it called In the Flow and created a method called the cycle thinking method that helps you synchronize the correct diet, fitness, and other lifestyle activities with that infradian clock so that you are able to take care of all this dynamic system in a really uh, strategic and simple sort of direct step-by-step -step way. So it's not overwhelming because I know that's sort of like the first place women go is like, gee, I don't even understand my period. I don't even know when I'm ovulating. How am I going to take care of this, thing, this new clock I've never even heard of? Trust me, it's much easier than you realize. In the book, what's I think really great about it is every chapter, there's a chart telling you like which foods to eat when, which workouts to do when, what yeah. to work on when. It just really organizes it in a, a very clean and, and simple way. Yeah, I find that it's not that complicated. Also, I use the app to your app and I find that it's just, it. I, after doing it a few years, it's just, I don't think about it as much. Yeah, know? and that's exactly the place that I want women to get to is where at first it's a little bit of a learning curve. Obviously it's new information, but you, I inherently trust your intelligence as a female. And I know that you can handle all of this new information because what can't you handle really right. think about it. Mm -hmm. And so give yourself the opportunity to, to familiarize yourself over time. Right. And that's, what's so great about the MyFlow app that you don't have to learn it all at once in a fire hose kind of fashion, right? Why don't you instead get to know each phase of your cycle in real time? Right? Yeah. And do it over the 
I think if you give yourself like three cycles to really see the repeating patterns for yourself um, around symptoms, around mood, around all the different pieces of um, the other systems of the body, metabolism, energy, et cetera, you're going to see just how consistent your body around its infradian rhythm is. In fact, you are not mysterious. You are not chaotic. You're not um, random. Right. Like, you know, a lot of women feel that way about themselves. Like, gee, I don't know. I'm randomly moody or I, right. you know, I, I feel like one day I'm myself, another day I'm not. I feel out of control. You'll find it's quite the opposite, that you have a, a very predictable pattern. And instead of just allowing for your, let's say, terrible mood swings or other tropes that you've inherited around what you think is supposed to happen for you throughout the cycle, because you're also going to be learning what to do to support each of those phases, you're going to find by that third cycle that all of a sudden the PMS that's plagued you your whole life is gone. Cramps. Oops. Did my period start? Right. Okay. You know, right. you're going to have an ex a very different experience because you're going to be supporting that infradian clock in a way that you've never had before. And of course, as logical as it would be, you're going to have a different experience of your health and your hormones. Absolutely. Uh, I hope you can make this into a curriculum for all schools, little girls and boys. They need to learn too <laughs> in those moments. Um, how I'm thinking about it. You know, I have, I have my, my daughter who is seven and um, you know, we, she knows about the infradian rhythm. When I was, when my book was launching, she was five, gosh. And she was listening it was right after the lockdown started, actually. I went on this like huge podcast tour for my my second book. And after her just sort of hearing me yammering on and on about this on different podcasts in the background, she came up to me one day. She said, you know, mommy, you're so interesting. This thing with the, and she would call it the infradium, the infradium rhythm. That's so interesting. You know, and I'm like, you will, you will have one. <laughs> you know, so that's just so to, sweet. just to even bring it up casually and, and have her be aware that there's things that will change about her body. And that's positive mm -hmm. is yeah. such a powerful seed to plant oh at a young age. And in addition, the other big work that I do with her as a young person, and that's age and stage appropriate is teach her about the sort of medicinal benefits of food. Like well, we eat yellow foods because they're good for certain things. We eat red foods because, you know, to kind of make it fun and interesting, you know, she understands the difference between proteins and carbs and fiber and fats and how we have to have a blend of these things. And she knows how to look at her poop. Oh, amazing. Right. After you amazing. poop, you have to look at it. Does it look like dinosaur eggs? Does it look like a golden banana? You know, what does that mean? Mommy, I need more water and more vegetables. It looks like dinosaur eggs. Great. I'm teaching her small ways to be in compassionate, dynamic relationship with her body today. So that as she has expanding needs that she's well um, practiced in just that's her knee jerk reaction, right? Ugh. Because that's how it should begin. In yeah. my opinion, the I education is not just oops, puberty. Here's a whole bunch of information. Oh surprise. That's traumatizing. So traumatizing. It's layered. It's like learning a foreign language, right? You don't, you want to start young and, and true bilingualism or true fluency of a language is not something that can be achieved in one year or one academic, you know, thrust. It's over time layered, 
over and over and over again until yeah. you are fluent. And ha- that's how you feel today. You feel fluent with this information. You know where you are in your cycle. You know what to do. That mastery comes with time and practice and patience and, yeah. and, and a little effort. Absolutely. And so hearing about your daughter, well, first, I do hope you do write that children's book at some point, because I can imagine moms like showing the different pictures of the poop and going, which one is it or which color? So I love that. (laughs) Um, I'd love to hear about your journey to motherhood after going through this massive healing journey. And there's so many pieces that I'm sure our community would love to hear about being a female entrepreneur, just like healing so much of yourself and then having the courage to step forward and be a beacon and like an ambassador for that. And how eventually then you came to motherhood where I am imagining that back then when you were diagnosed with PCOS, I think I may have read this, that you weren't sure if you would be able to um, be a mother. Yeah, I was told that it would be very difficult and which made sense because I wasn't ovulating. I mean, it's pretty difficult to conceive if (laughs) if you're not ovulating. Um, So it was um, a really beautiful experience, you know, in the sense that I had long since reestablished my ovulation and my cycle health. Um, I remember actually I was at a friend's wedding and a woman approached me out of no, a woman I did not know. I was at a friend's wedding where like, you know, you're like one of the friends that, and then you don't really know anybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate that. I hate that. Then I end up drinking too much or something. (laughs) Well, since I don't drink, I was just like, okay, honey, I was my husband. I was like, let's just dance as much as possible. (laughs) But um, she came up to me and she said, I can't remember if she said, are you pregnant? Or she said, she either asked me if I was pregnant or she asked me, are you, are you, you're, or she said something like you're going to get pregnant imminently. It was like very witchy like thing that she just, and I still have no idea who this person was. I couldn't just, could not pick her out in the lineup. Just, she just came and, but I knew why she said that because right before I got pregnant, I mean, I remember the sensation of you know, the, and I always say this to women, you know, fertility, optimal fertility exists in a state of micronutrient abundance in the body. And I was, I could physically feel being ripe, like a peach on on the branch, like being like, I felt that feeling not from a fertility point of view, but from like an abundant health point of view. Right. And, and so it made sense to me that um, she could see that vitality on my face, on my skin, in my essence. And that when we did try, you know, took three, three months of just trying to get the delivery of the sperm timed correctly. (laughs) Um, And, and that was that. And it was a very, you know, easy experience for, for that for that pregnancy. And so I, I think that that's a really interesting way to think about your fertility. I love the ripe peach (laughs) to think about what does it take? What would it take for you to get yourself to that place of being so abundant that you have extra, your cup runneth over so that you could 3d print a tiny human being. Right. Because that's what you're doing. You're pulling from micronutrient stores in your body to make a person. I mean, crazy. Right. 
how much is needed, how much is recruited from your body to do this manufacturing process, right? Yeah. And what would it take for you to get yourself to that place of being so replete, you know? And it's, and it goes, you have to go way back in time. Like this idea that you would take like just three months to prep your body for pregnancy. That's a disservice, I think, in the conversation around fertility these days. It takes a lot more than that right? You want to be thinking about if you think at all in your teens or your twenties, that someday you want to be a mother, then go out of your way to protect your period, support your hormones. Don't do things that deplete your micronutrients, which, you know, include taking synthetic birth control or extreme dieting or extreme working out or huge amounts of stress, yeah. you know, or drugs and alcohol. These things all drain the nutrients from your body. Give yourself plenty of time to, to stay, you know, rich with micronutrients so that when you're ready, emotionally, financially, geographically, whatever, to have a baby, um, that it's, a, it's an effortless spillover from your state of health. And if you're a woman who has other functional issues like blocked tubes or difficult uterus or something that that does or some genetic issues that does require you to use IVF technology, which is a wonderful thing that we have in our toolkit. Again, the same thing. You, it's only logical that if you go into your IVF process fully nourished, full mm. of micronutrients, not only will you need less of the medication to have your body do what it's supposed to do, right? Uh, have extra eggs develop and all of that, build the lining of the uterus. You'll need less hormonal intervention, but you'll also have a more successful outcome, right? Which, you know, because IVF has a pretty high failure rate. So it's, it, there is a very simple logic to how we achieve this fertility, whether you're doing it naturally or whether you're doing it with IVF, it really comes down to how long have you been supporting or disrupting your infradian rhythm? Yeah. And how long have you been rich with micronutrients or depleted? Yeah. Right? And then just take an honest evaluation of that and then take the time that's needed to get yourself where you should be. Absolutely. And what, what are some of the micronutrients when you speak of micronutrients that you are talking about us being really replete with? I mean, I remember having these conversations for a decade, the same ones over and over again, having the same conversations in my private practice and frust being frustrated with the fact that I couldn't make recommendations for really clean therapeutically dosed versions of these things. So in fact, right behind me over here, you know, I rolled my own formulations of these key micronutrients because they are just table stakes for your endocrine system. You need them every day. These are our complete B vitamin complex, right? Mm -hmm. You need that. They're water soluble micronutrients. You need to replenish them daily. Right. Any little bit of stress sucks your B vitamins away, right? Same thing right. with magnesium. You need yes. so much magnesium. Uh, you need the right kind of magnesium. So there's that's in there. Right. You need probiotics because the, the gut helps your body break down estrogen and you need to be doing that. Um, you need vitamin D3 and omega-3s. In fact, I mean, here's a, another interesting fact about fer infertility. 93% of idiopathic infertility shares of vitamin D3 deficiency in common. Oh, wow. Interesting. 
So if you have no known cause, it could be simply that your vitamin D3 levels are not in optimal yeah. range. Again, going back to this whole conversation about being rich with micronutrients, right? Yeah. We at least have it identified for one. It's only logical that it would need more, right? Yeah. So yeah. So these are kind of the the, the baseline yeah. um, things that you need. Um, there are a few others. And, and uh, if you've been on birth control, you definitely need these because they've been depleted. If you're just, if you've had, uh, you know, disordered eating or disordered mm-hmm. exercising, you need these. And if you're just someone who knows that your period is not working optimally, your hormones are, you know, you get garden variety PMS. You, these are the things you're missing. So if you're yeah. looking for um, a way to start supporting that, I would definitely encourage you to go to flowliving.com and, and yeah. learn more about the supplements uh, that we have there. They, they, it changed my life to have that consistent micronutrient. I mean, there've been phases where I've been rebellious and like, oh, I don't want to be carrying all these supplements when I'm traveling and da, 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 da. But now every morning I put out a little bowl for me and for my partner and I just like load it up with everything because I can feel the difference yeah. in my mood. I mean, in my, you know, bowel movements and my sleep, I like sleep well, I poop well, you know, and I'm like, this is great. Cause it wasn't always like that. I used to have terrible IBS, terrible cramps, terrible mood swings. And I do think I'm curious to chat a little bit about the correlation with emotional health and trauma, because when you were telling me, like I was imagining you, I'm seeing you right now, you're so vibrant and, you know, alive and beautiful. And I'm imagining, wow, to have had such a pivot to be like, you know, very overweight, having the cystic acne um, for you, was there a healing journey that was also corresponding to trauma or mental or emotional health? Um, what, meaning, was my PCOS, did it have a trauma o- origin story? Yeah, or was there any kind of link there as you were beginning to, to make that shift in your own physical health? Like, was there a link of, oh, wow, there's an emotional link or um, a link to my childhood or. Yeah. So, you know, nothing dramatic. Yeah. But what I would say is that being a highly sensitive person for whatever, if people believe that or not, but I am a very sensitive person. And what's your astro sign? I'm a double Taurus. Okay. Love that. <laughs> um, but what I what I definitely must have picked up in the ether, you know, growing up in the family that I did was that somehow, and I had no sisters, all brothers, all male cousins, like sort of trying to get, paint a picture of what I mean, right? Yeah. There was some the the immature perspective child brain of mine somehow, somewhere subconsciously decided that being female was somehow going to be a problem in me achieving whatever I was supposed to achieve, mm-hmm. you know? And again, it was a very, so not something conscious. Right. Right. And I, I do feel that with PCOS in particular, as having worked with other women, I see that thread there repeatedly, that there is somewhere in your journey, a disconnect where you actively decide that you want to kind of almost like divorce your, your mind from your body. And that 
is really interesting when you look at when we talk about the mind-body connection, and I'm the least woo-woo person you will meet, let me assure you. But when we talk about the mind-body connection, I always used to struggle with that because I said, well, where is it? <laughs> and what's exciting about looking at the endocrine system is that is actually where it is. That is the geolocation of the mind-body connection because we're talking about glands in the brain that then connect all the way through down to your ovaries and beyond, right? Having constant biofeedback conversations about what's going on in between the mind and the body. And so I just really found a lot of beautiful correlation between that. And so if you're disconnected from, you know, wanting not to be in your female body, right? right. It, it's interesting that your brain would kind of send a signal like, hey, let's not ovulate. Let's kind of dampen that process potentially as an energetic cause. So it wasn't so much trauma, although I didn't perceive it as trauma. I think I perceived it more as, um, you know, picking up on. Yeah. Like some conditioning just by the societal things, but really if you wanted to extrapolate it out, I think that is a version of what kind of trauma can be uh, experienced in a patriarchal container uh, you know, and that, that filters through for so many women in different ways. Exactly. Uh, and that was the way that it, it filtered through for me. And so a big part of my, uh, reclamation was not simply reclaiming my hormonal cycle, but it was also via the cycle syncing practice, right. Was reclaiming, um, just sort of like everything about being, in a female body, yeah. right? Feeling my intuition, feeling my discernment, <laughs> feeling my energy, feeling all the dynamic aspects of that and uh, learning how to really leverage them for my benefit and finding through that practice that the thing that I got confused about when I was young was the complete opposite. Mm. There's zero, it's the opposite of liability being in a female form. It's like such a, such a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Such a gift. But yeah, I mean, I, I think many women starting when we're young are like, ugh, this is terrible. I mean, I still hear it now. It's kind of like insider feminine talk. It's like, oh, I have my period. Oh, I have cramps. Like, oh, I'm bleeding. Oh, I'm bleeding next week. And even that is just, it's, it's the conditioning. It's like growing up in the eighties, nineties. Like, I don't know what it was like in the two thousands and the 2010s, but I do know when for me uh, growing up, it was like, ugh, this sucks. Oh my God. Like no one was in celebration in the community. Well, yeah. Because I mean, that's how you were taught to look at it, right? You were taught to look at it as a negative. Yeah. Passed down from generation to generation. But I wasn't, see, that's the thing. Okay. I had this really unique experience. I was told nothing. Okay. <laughs> so the unique experience that was that I was left alone to discover this myself. The first time I ever knew that I would have a period was in sixth grade sex ed class. I will never forget this lightning moment. We're in sex ed class and they like lay it all out for us. And I was like, literally grabbing my chair, turning around. I was like, are you hearing what I am hearing? This is incredible. I was gobsmacked, awestruck, in love. Whoa. In love. In love enough to have then at, what was that? Was I 12 in sixth grade? I don't even know. I think so. Something like that. I'm still (laughs) as in love, if not more today than I was at that first time 
you know, talk about like love at first sight. I mean, that's what happened for me the first time because I had the up, I had complete nothing prior to that. My mom was so great. I think, I don't think that's why she did it. She was probably just uncomfortable to talk about it, but there was like zero talk. I had no, I was totally like, Wow. Delighted and surprised. And I could see the other girls in my peer group had obviously had some other background information about it. And they were all doing the eye roll and the ugh. Meanwhile, literally, I ran, I grabbed my three best friends, like grabbed them hard out of that class, ran to recess. I was like, we're starting a period club. This is what we're going to do. It was, oh my gosh. it was like on for me. I was like, that was, that was it. The period club had two main directives. Just you know. <laughs> And yes, I was the president. <laughs> um, every day at recess, we would get together and we would do a bathroom check. Did anybody start bleeding? Because oh that would be so amazing if that happened. And two, we would try to guess who was going to get it first. Oh, wow. And I didn't realize what I was doing back then, but I 100% with accuracy predicted who was going to get it first and second and third and fourth. And I still am able to do this today. (laughs) There's a way that estrogen changes the look of your face. And so this happens. I was... uh, there's another uh, female founder, friend of mine, and she was on the street in Soho with her co-founder. And I, I saw her and we were chit-chatting and within five seconds, I, I said, congratulations, <gasps> you know, you're pregnant. And she looked at me like bewildered, delighted, but also a little like annoyed because she hadn't yet told her co-founder best friend. And I was <gasps> like, oops, you know, sorry. <laughs> Oh my God. It's very plain to see the effects of estrogen levels in a person's face. Um, And I just, I just can do that. And I could do it then. And I can still do it today. And we were, I was all hundred percent right. I I could tell you today who was, who it was. I don't want to share everybody's names, but you know, uh, you know, each girl got it in the order I thought. And, and it was such a fun thing. It was such a joyful thing. and I, I, I'm, it would be so nice if women could, young girls could kind of form their own opinions. Cause that's what I did. I was free of conditioning to form my own opinion, you know, and how did I not end up like that? Well, you know, I grew up in an immigrant family. And so there's a little bit of a, I was removed a little bit from popular culture. And so I think that's another factor that played into it. But we should all, as young women, be free to form our own opinions about our bodies because they would be positive. Right. They just right. would be. Oh, God. I I hope that for the future, you know, just because I, I mean, I grew up in the just dieting and laxatives and working out and, you know, everybody just so... I mean, it was that Kate Moss, Calvin Klein kind of 90s heroin chic time growing up during that. That was like the popular body size that was. I remember, I remember yeah. myself encountering all this stuff in magazines and things and feeling stressed by it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Feeling stressed as a, as a teenager, feeling like this is stressful. I don't look like this. Yeah. I don't fit into these clothes. I don't wear this kind of makeup. This is not helpful to me. 
And I remember feeling very clear. And I, I, again, I have no idea exactly why I am this way or was this way and still am. But I just decided that that just wasn't for me. Like if it was causing me stress, yeah. why should I open it up in the first place? No one's, no one's making me look at that magazine. Right. So, so I just won't. Good right? for you. And, and I think that um, we need to encourage our young girls to really follow those good instincts that you have. Um, that are just innate to you. You do have great instincts, great intuition, great discernment, but you are um, talked out of it often. Totally. You know what I mean? And then of course, as mothers, we have such a responsibility. So here's an example of how I leading by example for my daughter, right? I'm a very curvy woman. I'm a, a Italian curvaceous person. This was not always a you know, I now in, we're in the Kardashian era where um, curves, are cool. cur- curves are cool, right? <laughs> but growing up, they were not. <laughs> and anyway, it was a source of a lot of stress for me, people in my family, aunts and uncles, everybody commenting about my body in, yeah. in ways that just were totally inappropriate. You know, yeah. I remember once in New York, <laughs> I was on the subway, you know, and this woman, I mean, she didn't speak English. She was with her friend. She, I was standing up. They were sitting in the, in the subway seats. They were older women, like grandma types. She put her hands on the widest part of my hips. And she kind of, without being able to communicate in English to me, kind of commented about like, wow, (laughs) wow, that's a lot of stuff going on over there. You know, and I, at that point in my life was okay with that. Right. But, you know, this is the kind of experience that I've had th- with the shape that I have. Now, first time my daughter asked me, mommy, why are you so curvy? You know, cause she was seeing other moms in school and this and that. And she asked me a question and I, I don't, I know I had not planned this. I never thought about what would I say in this moment. I guess I had just done enough work so that when the moment arrived, uh, came up, I handled it a really great way. So here's what I told my daughter, which is what we say, which is very a vulnerable thing for me to share, but I feel like it's a, an opportunity of how you can be creative around leading by example so that you don't model behavior that is um, self-negating that then your daughter picks up, right? So I could have said lots of things like, yeah, you know, I'm curvy and that's okay, right? Which sounds like it's not okay, right? So I said, instead, I leaned in, I got quiet. I said, actually, right? Don't you want to know? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, the reason why is because I have a danger, but it's dangerous. (laughs) It's dangerous. She goes, oh. So like if somebody, you know, is going to like, like a, she goes, she was afraid of wolves at that time because she read the big bad wolf and she didn't like it. She was so if like a wolf came, like you could protect me with your danger. But I was like, exactly. Oh That's exactly God. what I could do with, she goes, can I please have one when I grow up? I said, I hope so. Oh my God. That's beautiful. Epic. I love it. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like if I get to, if we're all just meaning making machines, right. And we get to decide what what our spin on reality is. Well, why not have a dangerous behind that is epic and powerful and can protect your daughter. (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> Why not? I, you know, I love that. So that is what. That so that's much. a great. But you use your own creativity. You do, of course, what yeah. feels right for you. But it doesn't have to just be semi-apologetic or like it's okay. Like it can be totally blue ocean strategy, amazing, empowering. Um, mythological even, right? Because these, if we look at like, Joseph Campbell wrote a ton about the hero's journey and how that is all predicated on, you know, ancient Greek myths, right? Myths are what have gotten us into this place of negativity. The myths that your body is a problem and your hormones are a liability and unfixable and you're cursed. These myths are false and they've gotten you here. So why don't we just acknowledge it you know, we can cry over the spilt milk if we want, but most importantly, let's just make up some new kick-ass mythology about whatever you want in regards to your body and be grounded in the science about how your biology works so that you have a clear foundation to springboard into new positive ways to talk about yourself. Yes, yes, yes. I've never heard it put that way. And it's so true and it's so beautiful. And it's so different than it being an apology of like you know, the apology or the like, and that's okay. Have a big butt. That's okay. It, it just, it, it, includes the old myth it includes the baggage you know and it's it like so, yeah. still giving the baggage but like with the little disclaimer and I like what you're saying it's just like nah let's not include that let's like go in a radically new innovative creative magical direction you know and it, and this came up also she was at summer camp for the first time you know this past summer and they go all the girls you know are together and they're changing right and she has you know, she's related to me. So she has a substantial amount of peach fuzz on her back. Right. And one of the girls in camp was like, why are you so hairy? You know, there's seven, six yeah, and yeah, seven, yeah, like, yeah. Well, you know, and so she came home and I could tell something was up and she has like the best memory and can remember like what you said 17 years ago and like oh, with, yeah, with yeah. accuracy. Terrifying. So she was being very obtuse about what happened. And I could tell she was a little upset, not tremendously upset, but she, she wouldn't say what had happened. She was a little embarrassed. And so I, I, again, you know, this actually is talk about how cool the female body is. So when you're pregnant, um, they've discovered that parts of you, you actually end up with fetal cells in your brain and in your heart from the pregnancy that you carry, right? The fetal cells go to your heart because they have to heal your heart. Your heart doubles in size when you're pregnant and that's not good, right? But it is because it's for the pregnancy to increase blood supply and, and circulation, but then it needs to go back down to its normal size. The fetal cells are what are responsible for that. But then they're also in your brain. So if you're a mom and you think, gee, I can literally hear my kids' thoughts, it is because they're, you have like their sort of fetal cell microchips in your brain, right? So I could, I could just, I just knew what it was about. I just knew what it was about. Um, and I said, did she happen to mention something about your beautiful peach fuzz on your back? She's like, what's peach fuzz? I said, oh, it's the thing on your back. She goes, yeah, she said it was hairy and this and that. I said, oh, it's just peach fuzz. I have it. She goes, let me see. I showed her my peach fuzz. She has the peach fuzz. She's like, oh, okay, great, good. Well, then I, now, you know, just to any little way. So having, there's going to be so many conversations, I'm sure that we have to have, but to yeah. have these anchored at a young age, yeah. you know, I know it would have done so much for me to have yeah. saved me so much time and heartache to have everything painted in a positive. Um, 
So I'm just being creative and being experimental in terms, because there's certainly no um, formula for how to raise a sovereign, empowered, young, healthy, hormonally safe girl. So I'm using what I know and I'm trying to be creative about how to apply it in real time. And these are some of the things I can report from the field of mothering a young daughter uh, that are working really well so far. Oh, I love that so much. And it's inspiring. It's inspiring. Um, I hope it inspires other women who hear it too, to just like be careful in a good way about the narrative that you frame and that you program into anyone's mind, but especially little ones. Um, All right. So to kind of finish up, I I have a few kind of rapid fire questions that, I mean, you can take as long as you want with them, but coffee, yay, nay, or why? (laughs) Oh, that could take like a whole hour. But uh, (laughs) what I will say is for the full scientific with all the studies, please go to the blog, go to flowliving.com and and put in the search bar caffeine. Okay. Or you can read in the flow and there's a whole section on that. But the long and short of it is, most of us, 50% of the population is, is, has a gene mutation in the CYP1A2 gene, which is the, creates an enzyme that your body needs to metabolize caffeine. So if half of us don't make that enzyme, then half of us become caffeine or experience a degree of caffeine toxicity where you, you are not efficiently metabolizing it. So it stays in your system far longer than it should. And then it starts to disrupt, you know, your adrenals, your blood sugar, et cetera. Uh, Caffeine toxicity is a real thing. You can look it up on the Mayo Clinic's website and read through the symptoms because you might be surprised and say, gee, I just thought I was anxious and jittery and all these other things, but no, it could just be that you have some caffeine toxicity. What would make you think that you're deficient in this enzyme that you may have this mutation in your a CYP gene. Well, often women who struggle to metabolize estrogen are also um, those that have this mutation. So if you're somebody who has heavy bleeding or migraines or bloating or any of these things where there's estrogen as a problem, fibroids, endo, et cetera, it's likely that caffeine is not a great option for you. Okay, great. And so, yeah, it's a longer question, but good to see that it's not not necessarily everyone that has that's going to mess up your, your flow, but. And if you do do it and you're, and you're somebody who can do it and do it the way that it has been traditionally done forever, which is as a digestive aid after a meal, right? Right. After a meal, um, this, this whole idea of having it as a meal replacement on empty stomach, even if you have the right enzyme, it's going to disrupt your blood sugar and therefore be problematic for your hormones. So um, eat something first yeah, and then, you know, have it. Oh, such a good course correction there. Um, you mentioned something about an orgasm training coming up. Oh, yes. <laughs> What's that all about? <laughs> well, um, the sad fact is that 60 per, over 60% of women are sexually unsatisfied. And I look at that as, you know, I'm always looking at what is the root cause of that problem? The root cause is twofold. You are not in not understanding about your infradian rhythm, you have no perspective on the fact that your libido and your sexual response is dynamic over the course of the month. So again, because we've been conditioned by male-centric pornography, that we should be wet, ready, and interested and and like orgasmic instantly, um, you know, we think that there's a problem when we're not quite there or things take longer. But actually, if you understand the sort of science of how your, your, 
sexual response uh, is modulated across the cycle, you would be very comfortable with your response at any given day. That's the first thing. The second thing is that you are not fully aware of your whole arousal process, the four stages of arousal, and how to maximize them, how to use them, how to interact with them, how to create them. And so I just thought that I, you know, I've looked at this as a biohacking tool for such a long time. Like there's a way to biohack your orgasmic process. And then there's a way to use orgasm as a biohacking tool because it has enormous health benefits. Every time you generate the, the health benefiting chemicals uh, in the orgasmic plateau, you are re slowing down uh, biological aging, you are boosting collagen, you're regulating ovulation, you're doing so many great things for your health, um, boosting your immune response. I mean, the list goes on and on. So if you want to, be, if you're interested in wellness and biohacking, and you're not using your orgasm as a biohacking tool, you should be. And most women would have no idea about how to actually biohack an optimal response or orgasm. So I wanted to build, I wanted to do something about it because I'm that way. Yeah. <laughs> so I built a seven, it's free. It's oh starting gosh. on the seventh. I want you, it's for everyone. I mean, this talk about sex ed that we should have had. The, the, in seven days, I'm going to transform the way you um, experience orgasm. I'm going to up-level absolutely everything about the way you interact with your sexual response process. And you will, you will leave a transformed individual. I know that for a fact because I know what having access to this information over the past two decades for my life has done in terms of my personal health, but also just other areas of your life. Yeah. Um, so it is free. You need nothing. Uh, I would recommend. I love it. You, I want to do it. You need, you need nothing. You just need 20 minutes a day, your preferred hand, a good lubricant, which can be just coconut oil from your pantry and a journal. Cause you're going to take, you're going to want to digest a few things after. And will and, it be up on your website? Like if, if our podcast doesn't come out next week, will it be up like for people to take it later or do it? Yeah, we're going to make it evergreen okay. because okay, it's so important that we're having the, the, so I'm kicking off the challenge on the 7th with a live call. And then we're doing a wrap up on the 14th on Valentine's day, um, because this is the best Valentine's day gift you could ever give yourself. <laughs> and it will be the most fun homework you ever get. Trust oh me. my goodness. Um, so oh. I don't want, I don't want anybody to miss it. So yeah, if you can't join us the week of the seventh, there'll be ways for you to get access after. Awesome. I mean, I have so many questions. I just keep asking you questions and you're such a wealth of information. I feel like the information that you shared here today, I, I just, it's, it's so rich and deep and important and really appreciate you sharing the, the facts and sharing so clearly and concisely to us. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And I just, I mean, I do want to say when I followed what was in the woman code, uh, like religiously for a few years, my, my menstrual flow came back in a really beautiful way. I had had painful, long cycles, skipping, and that was like when I was 28 and then my cycles got, got regular, my cramps, like went down probably 75%. So 
I haven't done the in the flow book, but I definitely like the woman code. I would just have it flip to it right in it. Like I would write my little grocery list. Okay. Like I'm having kale this week. Like I'm doing kickboxing this week, but not next week. And um, well, you've, it's time for you to uplevel your cycle thinking practice. You got to get in the flow. And that's, that's sort of like the, the, the latest and greatest. Yeah, I will. And so thank you so much for bringing all of your wisdom, science, background, knowledge, and experience here to our community today. Like, we usually talk a lot, a lot about kind of more spiritual, emotional stuff, but I really appreciate the clarity that we had here that it's like, this creates the, the stable foundation for people to have the emotional, the orgasmic, the spiritual, the mystical experiences. If you're on the floor having terrible cramps, like you're going to miss out on whatever it is that's happening. Well, and, and I actually write about that in the last chapter of In the Flow. And I, I think it would be interesting for you to take a look at that because I do think that that spiritual hunger that we have as women is really a big piece of it is this gaping hole that we have as far as like what knowing who we are yeah, and how we operate. Yeah, the split that happened in us, right? And so I do think it's been, for me, so important. I even run my business in that way, like in a woman code way. So it's like, I know, and I speak to the the woman who works with me and she knows my cycle. We know when we're more apt to be kind of out there more and more in a a little bit more of a restful phase. So it's definitely changed my life. So thank you. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo. And you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events, and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review. Give us a five-star rating. All that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.